This episode of Remnant Radio is brought to you in part by our sponsors at Kairos Classrooms. Have you ever thought about learning a biblical language as a supplemental tool in your biblical studies? Well, Kairos Classrooms offers real classroom environments with with classmates and a live instructor who can help teach you biblical languages, both Greek and Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. Uh, The price for a single semester is crazy affordable for anyone, so check out the links in the description and use promo code REMNANT to get 10% off Kairos Classrooms. Check out Kairos Classrooms today. Discount code R-E-M-N-A-N-T, REMNANT, to get 10% off your semester. We're in episode two, talking about the Kansas City Prophets. We are here with Sam Storms at IHOP. You'll notice that we're not in our normal studio space, but today uh, we're going to be talking about Kansas City Prophets. Uh, let's start off in your your next section here, Sam, talking about yeah. uh, Augustine's word for Bickle. Maybe we'll start there. You are watching The Remnant Radio, a crowd-funded show where we interview pastors, teachers, historians, and theologians from different churches and denominations. My name is Joshua Lewis, and this is my co-host, Michael Roundtree. Together, we want to help you break outside of your theological echo chambers. If you're interested in learning about history, theology, or the gifts of the Spirit, this is the show for you. Yeah, and just maybe a little preface here. Um, People may wonder why I have such interest in this and how did I get all this information well, I was on staff with Mike for seven years in the 90s and then back in Kansas City for four years after my time at Wheaton. But I think it was in about 1996 or 97, um, Mike and I sat down. I think we did it over three days. And I sat with my laptop. Mike paced the room and told every one of these stories in Dictated detail. Stories. And I would follow up questions. I'd say, what did that mean? How did it happen? How was it confirmed? And that's how all of this documentation came to pass. And the good thing about it was David Pitches, we mentioned him last time, who wrote a book called Some Said It Thundered. He was from England, so he didn't have direct access to Mike or any of the, of the participants in these events. So that was kind of how all this originally came about in terms of my interest in it. So let me back up, uh, kind of pick up where we left off in the previous episode. So a man by the name of Augustine Alcala, Here's the audible voice of God, so he says, prophesies to Mike, he's supposed to move to Kansas City, launch a church, gives him four uh, markers of what God is going to do. When Mike comes to Kansas City, um, he encounters Bob Jones for the very first time. Again, don't be confused with Bob Jones University. Right, and real quick, four markers, we've seen that before. Yeah. Episode one, we saw four markers when the Lord spoke audibly to Mike Yeah. in Cairo, Egypt. Right. Four core values that would mark this future yeah. move of God. So when Bob Jones came to him, he said, oh, yeah, the Lord, he was actually walking out the door and he said, oh yeah, the Lord told me to tell you there'll be four things that will characterize the movement. And he gave the same four things that Augustine had. And those men had never met before. By the way, one of them was that from the very beginning, there will be a false prophet in your midst. Mike thought it was Bob Jones because he didn't know him then. He said, I'll bet you're the false prophet. So that was a, swirl around Kansas City for years. Who was the false prophet? Um, I know who it was because Mike told me, but we've never shared it. And I would would never mention his name. (laughs) I have no, I've never met the person long gone, but um, yeah, so that was one of the elements. But here's the interesting thing. So Mike is highly skeptical when he meets Bob Jones for the first time. Bob is not a physically, verbally impressive or eloquent person. And so Mike is really, you know, he's got his guard up. 
And then Bob says to him, and I want to quote the words, quote, the Lord says that on the first day of spring, when the snow melts, they will sit around the table and they will accept you. And he gave me the words agape and koinonia, words love and fellowship. And Mike immediately thought, you just prophesied your own acceptance. You must be the false prophet. Anybody who'd say, (laughs) you're going to accept me, he's trying to worm his way into our life here. So that just reinforced in Mike's mind, he must be the false prophet. So um, that was in March of 1983. (laughs) Bob says to Mike, he says, by the way, you're going to want to call me soon. And Mike says, no, I don't think so. He says, no, you are here. Gave, wrote down his phone number on a piece of paper. Here, take my phone number. He says, no, Mike says, I, I don't need it. Bob says, take my phone number. So Mike takes it, crumples up the paper, sticks it in his pocket, forgets about it. So about, um, I guess, just a few weeks later, a man came into Kansas City named Art Katz, K-A-T-Z. Many people will recognize that name. Jewish believer, loves the Lord. Um, I think he's with, I don't think he's still alive. I think he's with. But Art Katz came to a, the Sunday morning service, and Bob Jones singles him out. And Mike sees Art and Bob talking over, and Mike's saying to himself, oh, no, the false prophet has now got my guest speaker. He's, what am I going to do? Art comes over to Mike. He said, I don't know who that gray-haired man is, but he just told me my life, things that he could never have known. So later that night, Mike and Art are scheduled to go to another church in Kansas City, and the speaker there cancels, and so they had to cancel the meeting. So Art says, listen, he said, "Um, I was supposed to fly out tonight. He had a private plane, and he said, but it snowed. It was a late snow in in late March. He said, I'm grounded. I can't get out. Can we go see that gray-haired guy, that Bob guy? I want to talk to him again. Mike says, I don't have any way of knowing where he lives. I can't contact. Oh, wait a minute. I've got his phone number. He reaches into his pocket. His billfold pulls out that crumpled piece of paper, calls Bob. He said, Bob, Mike. He said, yeah, I've been waiting for you to call, but I thought it would be Art. He was the one who had the burden on his heart. I said, this is unbelievable. So they drive over um, <laughs> they, to, the, to Mike's duplex in the Troost area of Kansas City. Bob comes over. They stay up all night talking about these things. And something happens early in the morning of March 21st. It's probably about one in the morning. And I'm going to kind of collapse a lot of information here to, to, to be very brief. Back in 1971, I believe it was, Pat Bickle, Mike's brother, was in a football game and he played linebacker, and like on the third play of the game, he tackles a guy and breaks his neck. Pat lived as a quadriplegic for many years. He died in 2007. I actually officiated Pat's funeral. And um, he was completely paralyzed. I mean, literally, Pat could not move anything but his head like this. That's, That's all he could do. Lived on a striker board all those many, many years. Never lost his faith in Jesus. So... Bob, um, what, what happened was Mike's dad, a man by the name of Bobby Bickle, who was a world amateur boxing champion, he actually boxed in the Olympics. Another long story. <laughs> that suddenly makes Mike Bickle cooler. Somehow. Yeah. Bobby used to take Mike to bars, and Mike literally did push-ups for peanuts. They would say, how many push-ups can you do? And he would do it, and he, they'd give him peanuts and give him money. I mean, it's a long story. Mike can share it if he wants Great. to. So, 
1971, and they walk out of Pat Bickle's room. Mike has five sisters. And Mike's dad pulls him to the side, and he says, Son, I don't think your sisters are going to be capable of taking care of Pat, and I don't think I'm going to live much longer. Will you promise me that you'll take care of your brother? Mike said, Dad, of course I will. And suddenly this song, it was first recorded by the Hollies and later by Neil Diamond. And Mike quotes the words which says, he's not heavy, he's my brother, and I love him so. You can listen to the song on YouTube. And he, and he spoke that to his dad. He said, that's my covenant with you. I'll take care of Pat. Bobby Bickle died, I think, three months later. Mike never told a soul what he had pledged to his dad. Never told Diane, his wife, didn't tell his sisters, nobody. So now we're for, fast forwarding to 1983. We're 12 years later. Bob Jones had prophesied, again, one of those words. The Lord says, on the first day of spring, as the snow melts, we will sit around the table. You will accept me. And he gave me the words agape, love, and koinonia. And, and he was wearing a heavy jacket. Yeah, right? when he, in March, when he, in a, yeah. When he originally prophesied. When he originally it. prophesied all this, and it, it was, was hot outside. Yeah, it was. So it was kind of, I, I don't know, I think of Agabus taking the belt, tying it around <laughs> yeah. himself, or, yeah. you know, you mentioned in the last episode, striking the ground with arrows, and the, uh, in the scriptures, the prophets often have these sort of demonstrations of their prophetic word. So I, I take it that's what Bob was doing. Yes. He's wearing a heavy jacket and saying, when the snow comes and it's not supposed to come, basically. And when it melts. And when it melts. On the first day of spring, he gives the date. He actually gives the date. Which is March 21st. So he prophesies a date, an unusual weather event, and he marks it to our memory with a prophetic demonstration. And then the best part is yet to come. Okay. So they're sitting around the table. It's like one in the morning. And Bob says, what day is it? Mike says, well, it's March 21st. He said, no, what day is it? He said, well, it's the first day of spring. Look out the window. What's happening? Mike looks out. The snow was melting. The snow had come that kept Art Katz from leaving, which the <laughs> Lord used to providentially orchestrate the get-together in the first place. God's providence is all over this. Mike said, yeah, the snow's melting. Don't you remember what I told you? On the first day of spring, when the snow melts, we'll sit around the table where they were, and you will accept me as a prophet. And then Bob says, I had a vision or a dream about Pat. I won't go into the details about that. And he said, I saw Pat lying on this striker board, paralyzed as a quadriplegic. And he said, an angel spoke to me in the dream. And because I said, Mike, you were in the dream. And I turned and I said to Mike, I said, Mike, this must be an incredible burden for you to have to take care of your brother who's a quadriplegic. And Mike, you told me in the dream Oh, he's not heavy. He's my brother, and I love him so. Mike collapses in a pool of tears. He is absolutely blown away. He said, Bob, you have no idea what you just said. There's not a soul in this universe other than God himself who, who knew that I made those his very words. Had died oh, his dad died. died 12 years ago. So, like, he couldn't, he couldn't have been passed. No, and, and Mike, never told, Mike had never told anybody. He didn't tell his wife. So not a paraphrase, like a verbatim quote of the words. He said, I heard the, the, the Lord say, he's not heavy. He's my brother, and I love him so. And Mike said, you are a prophet of the Lord. I, there's no way I can deny this. Their only other option is the devil spoke to you, not God. But why would he do that? 
Why would he confirm this? That was really the launch of, of Bob's ministry in Kansas City was when he gave that word to Mike. And Mike had spoken 12 years earlier to one person who then was died and nobody else knew about it. Okay, so now it's not just the unusual weather event and the prophetic demonstration and the prediction of a date and the first day of spring and you'll accept me. It's also nailing an event that happened 12 years prior and actually quoting it. Uh, maybe we could pause for a second and talk about prophecy here, Sam. Sure. Uh, because, you know, in Deuteronomy chapter 13, there's a prophet who gets it right, but leads God's people away. And, uh, and in the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 7, many will prophesy in my name, and it'll be said, you never knew me. And, and so how do, this is a stunning, these are stunning prophetic revelations, or else so it seems. And this was the moment that, that Mike received it as such. But what are the ways in which we can discern? Because sometimes a so-called prophet could get it right, and lead us astray from the Lord. Was Mike just, uh, was he being too gullible and, and saying, okay, now I believe? Was it reasonable for him to, to come to that conclusion in the moment? What, what would you speak into that when it comes to discerning whether or not one is a true prophet or a true or false prophet? Oh, yeah, that's a big subject, isn't it? Um, well, certainly, is the prophetic word consistent with Scripture? In other words, is there anything in it that is that would violate some principle or some explicit text in the Word of God. That's the first question we have to ask. Um, secondly, um, is there a way to empirically verify it? In, in this case, these are all, as you're going to hear more in this episode, empirically verifiable words that were spoken in advance. Um, these were actually, many of these were foretelling, not just forthtelling. These were actually predictive in nature that then came to pass in precisely the way at precisely the time that um, the prophet had spoken. Then, obviously, we ask the question, um, am I encouraged by this? I mean, 1 Corinthians 14, 3. Am I built up? Am, am, I, am I led astray? Do I feel a deeper love for Jesus? Am I more committed to the authority of his word? The character of the prophet also factors into that. Because, again, Bob was walking in holiness of life. Uh, wasn't for another six or seven years before he had his struggle. So I think those are all factors that weigh in on it. Because, And it, uh, quite honestly, if you were to ask Mike, he would say, I was fighting skepticism all through this. He said, I was, I was terrified that this was the false prophet who's leading me astray. And, of course, the events of March of, of 83 are followed up by the events of April and May that just... And, and then finally, we'll get to one later that happened in November of 83... Uh, that actually sealed the deal, and Mike never doubted again after right. that. So, so accuracy of a prophet, it, it's not as though it's completely irrelevant, even though false prophets can get things right. Um, so it's not, it's not the only thing, but it is a thing. Uh, I mean, I, I think of in John chapter 1, when the Lord says of Nathaniel, under the fig tree, I saw you. Mm -hmm. And, of course, Jesus says, well, you're going to see much greater things than uh, but it, for for him, it actually started with that one prophetic word, and and this is like five or six prophetic words compounded on each other. So, yeah, I, fascinating. My, so you mentioned that these things are predictive, looking forward. Um, I have a question about some of that. So I, 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 you know, my background a little bit. I grew up in Steve Hill's church after he got sick, um, and there were prophetic words that were constantly given in that season. 
that Steve was going to get healed and we we're going to usher in the third great awakening. I mean, sure. there was like uh, pretty, pretty uh, grandiose kinds of prophetic words. And, and I saw some of those things actually get weaponized against people, mm. you know, to, hey, you're leaving, so you don't really trust what God's going to do and, and those kinds of things, really try to manipulate people to stay. Um, and I, I don't even say that that was done at an executive level or senior leadership, but I saw some of these things happen. Um, how do we process some of that? You know, when Bob Jones says, when the Kansas City Chiefs go to the Super Bowl, there's going to be this revival, like, do you know, or, you know, this region. Or did he say that? Or, or this region. He never predicted they would win the Super Bowl. Okay. Now, that's from Mike. Super Bowl. Mike said at right. least Mike never heard him predict that they would okay. win the Super Bowl. Others have said they did hear him say it, but I don't know. Okay. Okay. So, 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 or, or, you know, this certain region of America, I know there's church people who go and plant churches in these specific regions where a prophetic word was given. Should we, should we be initiating works so that these prophetic words come about? Are they instructive for us? Like what, what kind of insight would you give us there? Yeah. One, one thing we should say, people wonder, and we can go back as you know, you all did an extensive episode, in fact, more than one, about the failed Trump prophecies. Yeah. And, of course, the people out there who say, they didn't fail, he's still president. You know, I know some people who yeah. are making that claim. We won't go there. Sure. <laughs> but people wonder, why did, why did they say these things? And some predictive prophecies that don't come to pass. I think what happens oftentimes is that individuals have their own personal conviction, their own personal desires that they feel very strongly about, and they become so intensely um, solidified in their hearts and minds that they identify that with the voice of God. They say, oh, this must be God, that I would feel this strongly about it. And they project their own desires, their own preferences, their own predispositions, and cast them in the form of a predictive prophecy. And That's very dangerous. Um, I think, you know, when people ask, what are we supposed to do? to do with these sorts of things. And I go back to 1 Thessalonians 5. Why did Paul have to say to one of the most mature churches that he had planted, don't despise prophetic utterances and in doing so quench the spirit? Why were the Thessalonians tending, uh, inclining to despise prophetic utterances? Probably for the same reasons we're talking about here. There may have been predictive words that didn't come to pass. There may have been people who we're in a self-serving sort of way. We're manipulating people, claiming to have revelation when they didn't. And people got wounded. They got offended. They got skeptical about whether God was really operating through that particular spiritual gift. It happens today in the same way. Yeah, and, and we're talking about a guy who is going to give uh, Mike prophetic words about starting one of the world's most influential prayer houses right. churches globally to the glory of jesus that preaches a christ crucified you know so this idea that he's giving these really specific prophetic words in order to lead mass groups of people astray it, it doesn't seem like something that the devil would do uh, so right. we, we hear these stories like the devil's not saying let's get more people praying to god yeah yeah exactly <laughs> you know in jesus name you know uh when when we we look at these stories like you said they can be they need to be framed properly Okay, um, he didn't just hear these prophetic words and go, okay, let's go do this. He had experienced personal, like you just mentioned, almost like six different confirming points before he was like, okay, maybe, you know, <laughs> and then moving forward, like you're going to share some of these other stories yeah. that are like, uh, they, they create this resounding yes that only God could have known. No devil could have known 
that some comet was going to reveal itself at a specific and, time. And that is a consistent point in, in Scripture, especially in Isaiah, yeah. where it's like, you know, no one else can predict the end from the beginning. Only God can. That's right. Only God can speak with this kind of level of accuracy. And then God goes on to, to predict Cyrus, who's going to come and calls him by name. And fascinating in Isaiah. But it, and that's where I think we really want to land this episode before we move into the next one. And that is, on the surface, it might look like this is the story of Mike Bickle and his awesomeness. And, and Bickle would be the first to say, that's not what this story is about. Sure. It might also look like this is about Bob Jones and his awesomeness. And, uh, and if Bob was here, he'd say, no, nope, that's not what it's about. You mentioned the providence of God. and That's going to be something that comes up a lot Amen. is God's providence. And probably in one of these episodes soon, we'll have you define what providence is uh, a little more precisely uh, because it's just going to come up again and again and again. This is, this is a God story. And that's why we're talking about the Kansas City Prophets. I want to thank Kairos Classrooms for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio. And if you're out there, you've ever wondered, hey, I wonder if learning a biblical language would be a supplemental tool for me to help me in my biblical studies. Well, you need to check out Kairos Classrooms. They offer Greek and Hebrew classes that can help teach you and train you. It's a live classroom environment with actual students and actual live teachers, and they help teach you the biblical languages of Greek in Hebrew. And you need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. There's a link in the description and you can use the promo code REMNANT to get 10% off. These classes are already crazy affordable, but with the promo code REMNANT, R-E-M-N-A-N-T, you'll get 10% off of Kairos Classrooms. So check that out today. And thank you so much for Kairos for sponsoring this episode of REMNANT Radio.